Hey listeners, it's Alex, your host of EOA, Entrepreneurs of Asia, a show where we talk to founders, investors, and entrepreneurs shaping the Asia startup ecosystem. Today, we're talking with Francesca Chia, co-founder and CEO of GoGet. At a very high level, GoGet is a community platform that connects businesses to part-time workers. Later on, we will hear a more concise explanation for Fran. GoGet was an early pioneer in marketplaces that helped build the gig economy we know today in Southeast Asia, and more specifically Malaysia. They raised money from 500 startups and has had an amazing journey over the past six years of staying lean, growing top line, and getting profitable. In this episode, we talk about pitching your business and the different kind of pitches there are. We also talk about raising money and the best time to raise. We get into what product market fit is and how GoGet actually managed to find it. We also discuss some of the more common topics tech founders face, such as do you need a technical founder, blitzscaling, grit and determination. My favorite part, though, is Fran's response to the last question about her definition of success and when she knows the work is done. Let's dive right in. Welcome to the show, Fran. How are you today? Good. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for your time today. I know you're very busy. All good. Yes. Not too busy. <laughs> uh, so the other day I was driving on uh, Jalan Marov and uh, we, <laughs> I see these two crazy people biking intensely up the hill. Uh, so being my fiance was like, wow, who's that crazy strong girl? And it was Fran. Yes. Right. So Fran, uh, ha- have you always been doing biking and intense sports <laughs> no i'm so glad you spotted me on the rare occasion that i do cycle yeah. um, no we started cycling my husband and i started cycling on sundays now as so a nice. family routine that's good um but i actually um it's a sport that i picked up probably like six years ago um that i sporadically do okay. and only recently have made it a little bit more regular so it's uh what other sports do you do then <laughs> Um, I guess this really depends on the time of your life. I do technically play tennis, uh, but I have not touched the racket for a while. Um, others is, uh, netball when I was growing up. Uh, so would do a lot of team sports more Mm -hmm. than, than anything. Mm -hmm. Um, but otherwise I just normally run. That would be one of my common ones. So <laughs> you're very competitive, I assume, then? I am, though. I'm highly competitive when it comes to, like, the starting line and when everyone's kind okay. of getting ready. Okay. I get really routed up to kind of, like, go. <laughs> where, where did that come from? Were you always, like, this growing up? Or was this, like, kind of put into you by family? Or um, No, I would actually say my role in the family is completely opposite. Mm. Um, I am the youngest child and okay. the only girl. Nice. Um, and I'm about like six and four years difference between my elder brothers and my, and my, and my middle brother. So, um, actually at home, I don't even try to compete because it's not even kind of, you know, yeah. the, the, the stage doesn't set you up for that there because it's just these two older brothers that are trying to protect you or, okay. um, tease you and so i am usually quieter at home Mm. Um, i'm not like the competitive one i think i only started being competitive when i went to um, my international school not even in the chinese school Mm. in malaysia before high school before yeah yes correct yeah um chinese school did not give me that but i think it was it was alice smith Ah, Alice Smith. It okay. was, yeah. Okay. Um, so, Fran, you are the co-founder of GoGet. Yes. Uh, so briefly, what is GoGet? So super brief, we are a community platform for part-time help where we connect people, businesses to this pool of verified people called go-getters. And these go-getters are people looking to earn on a flexible manner um, wherever they are, um, whenever they want to. And they're able to then kind of do this on a safe and protected platform that can help them even upskill and connect to a larger network. Mm-hmm. So essentially, um, I mean, it started off as this uh, concierge idea, right? Very similar to TaskRabbit. Um, and then it kind of focused more, uh, well, I guess one period where you're focusing on companies and what you could fulfill for them, right? Yes, definitely. And then now yeah. it's uh, become more of this all-encompassing platform again, right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, and recently you won a virtual pitch competition from AIM Startups. Yes. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. So what is your take on pitching these types of competitions? Well, this specifically one, um, this, this specific pitch was actually done completely virtually. Um, so it was hilarious because it's the first pitch I did without shoes. Oh, without shoes. Because okay. <laughs> I was at home. Nice. And I was like, oh, this is really odd. I don't usually um, dress like this for a pitch, but yeah. I could. And um, overall, my take on it was, uh, you you know, you're given five minutes um, to get onto the stage. And then you, you have 
to ensure you kind of meet the buzzer. They have like this big timer clock yeah. to kind of chase you off. Um, so it's really all about choosing the less, less words is more, um, in mm. this case and actually just getting the main message across. Um, and the main thing that we, why we do these is just to actually get more exposure in the right tables, um, and awareness. Mm -hmm. So do you think they're kind of worthwhile to take time to do competitions? Um, I think selected competitions make mm. sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and if the competition's core purpose, is aligned to ours. Mm -hmm. So um, the two recent competitions that uh, we participated were entirely kind of core to our business. It was about bringing financial inclusion to the B40 segment of the nation. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we do. Uh, so the reason why it's great is because it then starts bringing all the stakeholders that care about this topic into that room. And then we will be able to at least speak and get connections. So we form a lot of partnerships through them. Okay, so actually it's more of a marketing activity. Yes. And it's yeah. uh, taking up marketing resources, essentially. Because, uh, you know, in the past when I had to do pitches, whether it be for fundraising or competitions, I found them very disruptive. Mm. Because you have to take a lot of time to actually really think about it. And it's like you said, uh, less is more. And then distilling it to very simple ideas that can be have high impact is really hard, right? Mm -hmm. um, so how do you go about maybe distilling it down or... What's the process? Oh, so I think every every business has to kind of figure that out on their own because every business has their own story. But I do have some learnings that I was taught to mm. make my presentation tighter. Um, I think the first one is definitely like when you kick off, uh, you should start with a bang, um, like with a statistics, with something that is very easily understandable by anyone. Um so with us, for example, we start with uh, kind of one statistics, for example, 12 million. That's the number of B40 uh, segment of mm -hmm. Malaysia that we are looking to impact, right? Um, and they're, they're unprotected today. Mm -hmm. um, so usually we, we would start with the story and we, or the, the statistics, and then we'll actually really drive into a person's life story that we're impacting so we actually put a face and a mm -hmm. name behind it and so you know that allows the audience to kind of like really understand like who exactly would this be and how does that person look like and then and then we just really try to drive home um kind of the the mechanism of why we do it differently and why it's going to make a huge impact and finally we just end with kind of the the execution in the team and and um and then introducing kind of the people behind it yeah so the idea is um hook first right yeah so you need to grab attention uh then you lead them to the emotion through a yes. story right correct um and then uh differentiation problem solving yeah. And then I guess uh, probably, probably summing it up, right? So I guess those kind of four or five points, you probably want to have very succinct and then kind of weave it to a narrative. Right? Yeah, exactly. And then you probably create an emotion. But that I guess that is probably in the context of pitching competitions, which yeah. it's, it's very different, right? So, so different. So like say, what would be different than if you pitching, say, for raising fund money? Because I think you yeah. raised money before, right? Yes, 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 yes. So what would be the main difference? Raising fund money is completely different because you get an hour, yes. essentially, with another person on the phone or, or across the table. So, um, I mean, and it, it, it starts even from the first email of introduction all the way to kind of the end of that meeting, mm -hmm. right? So... Um, I would say when we're doing our fundraising pitches, it's a lot about relationship building mm. um, as your first thing, right? It's like on a human level, that yeah. person has to kind of just like being in a room with you. Mm. <laughs> and um, it's nothing about even your content. You just got to have like some basic etiquettes and yeah. some basic human interaction, social skills. Um, then it's... Uh, and I notice in, in, I guess, fundraising pitches, there's always one or two slides that usually get someone's mm. attention. So you must have that one or two slide that goes, ah, mm -hmm. this is why mm -hmm. this idea is mm -hmm. awesome, or this is why this startup makes a difference. And it usually may not even be the first slide. Um, mm. It could actually be after you've kind of set the stage and it's like in the middle of my presentation, mm -hmm. right? And there's always that one point. And, and I, and, and actually, to be honest, when I first started pitching, I don't think we knew which slide that would be. Mm. And it's actually observing what reactions we will get from everyone. And, and we go, oh, actually, that slide makes mm -hmm. a huge impact. So then mm -hmm. we keep building on that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. 
And we try to figure out like, why does that one get the most questions or the most eye opening or the most like reaction. And then we, and then we understand the psychology behind that. And then we kind of dive deeper on that. Yeah. Mm, so many questions about that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so it seems like you've built your decks and I guess you do build decks as your primary yes, pitching, right? I do. Um, and so it sounds like you would go into these pitches without really knowing which slide. Um, have you noticed that it's better to put these type of impact slides earlier or it, or do you need to build up to your point? Is, yeah. is that something specific to go get pitching in general? Yeah. Yeah. Or, well, so I, I generally, um, general, generally I will start with the deck and a storyline and I do think I will definitely make a punt. I'll go like, this is my main power slide, right? Mm, I will say okay. it here. Okay. Right. Okay. And then, and, and it's, but that may be the wrong slide. Mm, so, and then, and then we iterate on that. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so maybe in your process of pitching, is that because you don't do enough due diligence on the investor to know what that slide would be? Um, actually, I think the main, from the most recent round, um, my insight was that we think that, you know, this part of the business is the best to show off. Yeah. But actually, maybe because we're so ingrained in this business day in, day out. Tunnel we're, vision. We're not, yeah, we're tunnel vision, yeah. right? And and actually, the, the investors get really excited about this other aspect of the business okay. that uh, we go, ah, oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. Did not realize that that was my selling point. Yeah. And then and then I go, okay, so that's probably my better selling point. Yeah. And then I, I, I wrap that up with a bow and, a, mm-hmm. and I tie it up. So, so two yeah. questions from that then. Um, how much... So if it's something you didn't really think about, right, that's the selling point. Uh, how much of that do you think changes the way you would think about the business? Uh, or, you know, how much of it do you still need to stick to your core right. vision? Yes, and like, yes, yes. Because investors are investing on different things. A lot of things change. For sure. There, there's herd mentality. Some of them are just really fundamentally driven. Sure, yeah. um, but like if they tell you this, what does that do to you? Do you change yeah. your pitch? Do you... Or how do you think about, you know, not pulling away from your vision? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, let me break it down a little bit because, um, the, the aspect that they found interesting and I guess exciting, um, or differentiating with us was not a vision change or a core change. Mm -hmm. It was actually the way we ran the business. Okay. So actually, um, Go get since 2017 until now maintains being less than 15 people, mm. but our revenue has grown, right? So yes. fundamentally, it means that our costs have stayed the same, but yep. we figured out how to at least at scale. scale the business, yes. like on a top line yes. level and yes. maintain your cost level there, Correct. right? Yes. On a straight line. So, um, and, and we do, and to, to do that, we literally needed to use a lot of technology, yes. of course, yes. right? Yes. Like, cause, yes. <laughs> cause it's like, oh, do you want to do this every day? And and we look at each other, we go, we don't have a human being to do this every day. And then we walk over the tech and we're like, code it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're like, we're not hiring for this. And then so um, a lot of the technology gets smarter throughout and, and being lean almost forces to get really uh, like just enhance our tech more and more. And, and that was actually the biggest factor. I think when, when people, when I pitch and usually I go, oh yeah, and by the way, we've not grown our team for three years. Um, it's been the same. And mm. then they go, what? Mm. You've not, you maintain being 14 people. And I say, yeah, we are the same size people, um, so, uh, as a team. And we've done these things. Yes. And that's usually the eye opener where they go, Oh, actually that's so the way you run your business is so different to most people. And that's where I think it hooks them. Mm. Um, so, cause as a VC, I think they're really VC versus obviously competition. VCs are looking for usually equity, um, and eventually a longer term return, right? Competition is like, cash yes so they don't really care actually what you do with the money as much as i I, they care but if someone's getting married to you which is signing on a on on an equity sheet Mm -hmm. they need to go are you going to run this business reasonably sustainably and you're going to take my money and use it properly right so so i think that's why the type of information that they they look for is is definitely different and we Mm -hmm. see that through the pitches yeah yeah, I just I think there's a lot of things I want to get into, but um, so let's let's we'll, we'll get to that later probably. But so you also had raised money from 500 startups before. Yes. Um, was that was probably very early on in the journey, Super, right? Because yeah. you were you've been running for about six years now. Yeah. Um. So what was it like raising money for 500 startups back then? And then I guess from where you are now, what has changed and what have you learned? Wow, that's like try to sum up all your things in the last five years. Yes, very, very concisely, right? <laughs> very concisely. 
Okay, so um, first thing, let me set the context. In 2015 was when we raised uh, 500 startup funds, and we actually have both the U.S. fund and the Durian fund. Mm, um, so okay. we have two funds of so 500 in, in us. But um, what is unique is in that backdrop of 2015, um, it was kind of like the birth of the second wave of, or like the you know, the new wave of startup, right? That was like yes. the 1999 Correct. startups yes. where, you know, you have the the traditional kind of like OGs of the startup environment. Yeah. And then like there was like a gap almost. And then like, yes, exactly. And then people started coming back around 2014 and 15 yeah. and started building their ventures. And we had like magic that spurting up, cradle mm. spurting up and it started burgeoning out mm. like this industry, right? So, so on that backdrop, you almost are one of the first few line on in front of the line for 500 to start picking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right? And there was actually a lot of um, competition that was surrounding us uh, when we started. You know, there were mm-hmm. a lot of companies that were doing similar to what we were doing. A lot, right? Uh, yeah. Can you name a few? What super hands? Uh, well, uh, super hands. We call we call them like sister companies because what they do is. It's, we call ourselves like super legs if you, if you get <laughs> yeah, it right okay, yeah yeah, okay. yeah so we're, we're we're i don't see them really as a direct competitor we i feel like they're more complementary competitors mm-hmm. that okay. helps line the market for us mm-hmm. with us um but we did have others that were you know like the bimalas mm-hmm. ones oh, yes, and like yes. the i'm not sure there's I can't, few sms services a, too right few, yes there yes, were that. yeah and Ironically, for us, uh, it was about uh, we were not actually looking to raise funds. Uh, we had seeded the fund with uh, seeded the company with uh, the founders' funds, mm-hmm. so we had put money into the company. Yeah. Um, and and it was because uh, a lot of companies were were I guess pitching to five hundred. Uh, five hundred usually would then try to kind of map the landscape and go, yeah. okay, well who. Where do you sit in the landscape? Where do you mm-hmm. sit? And we need to pick, take a punt, right? Because yep. they can, they would try to make p- as many puns that are not contradicting. Yes. Right. So, um, so we were just in the landscape where a lot of people were pitching to him, and then he came to us and said, like, "Hey, let's catch up and like let's see where Go Get sits relative to the SMS players or the other players." Mm-hmm. And I painted him the picture and I say, well, this is where we sit, right? We yeah. not only own the supply, but we own the demand. And, you know, our angle yeah. is really this low to middle skill yeah. um, segment of the market. And I guess we were just really lucky that it connected and, and we ended up being the mm-hmm. investee. So, yeah. So um, how much of that was, because like, I guess what you now now know is just probably so different. You probably didn't understand so much about your business back then. 2015 is very yeah, early, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so how much of it was really just, you know, this really clear insight and a great pitch or was it just good timing versus, you know, because say, yeah. say you know, yeah. if you know what you know now and go sure. back and pitch, it'll be so much different, right? Um, oh, that's that's weird, I guess. But that's such a hypothetical where we'll never actually yeah. be in that case. Of course, but of course. Yeah, yeah. but uh, honestly, at that stage when you're pitching and people are looking at you at that stage, the only, like the 90% of the time they're looking at people. Mm. Because at that point, honestly, your idea, they all know you do not, mm. you do not have product market fit. Yeah. You do not have a legitimate yeah. business yet. Yeah. It's entirely on the humans, Correct. actually. I, f- I feel when you're that early, yeah. right? We, you're pre-revenue. Mm-hmm. So if you are pitching at that stage, it's entirely how you as a human can say, I know I don't figure it all out yet. I haven't had it figure it all out yet, but I, this is my approach. This is why I am also, my team is also, mm-hmm. we believe we're kind of in this kind of mm-hmm. industry and size and space. That's growing. But I'm going to yeah. figure it out. And yeah. that's literally what you have to convince mm-hmm. them on. So that's what you were probably pitching back then. then yes. Too. Yeah. So you're saying we had a great team. And of course, you're onto something. Well, you have yes. a product, right? Yes. Yes. So that's yes, just really yeah. selling them on, on, I guess, on the founders. You're selling them on the founders and the initial traction that you can get with whatever okay. little like resources mm-hmm. you have. And then it shows them like, okay, they're kind of running. They are trying really hard and they are getting some results. Okay. Maybe this, this is worth a punt. Yeah. Yeah. In your opinion, when is the right time to raise them? Great question. I think now that retrospect view is, is a really important question. Yeah. I think um, raising funds too early may be sometimes not good for the business. Detrimental. Yes. yes. Um, it drives you to almost optimize for the wrong yes. things. Yes, correct. Correct. Um, and so, so I would say, ironically, we raised too early. Mm. Um, and I think it did 
impact us initial days in terms of optimizing for the wrong things. And how you execute it, right? How you execute it. Yeah. But the flip side, because we had done those mistakes, it then taught us, mm. oh, by the way, you should actually optimize on this other thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so we moved over to just um, learn from that. And then, and honestly, after 2017, we just drove to profitability and break even, mm. right? And so um, if we didn't learn that lesson, I think we would have learned the um, profitability break even lesson much later. Mm. Okay, so let's let's go let's go back a little bit to the aim competition, right? So you you won the competition. So let's talk. So and we talked about what's good pitch, you know, how yes. to, and the difference between uh, pitching for competition versus money. Yeah. Uh, let's look at the other side. So were you? Do you feel you were the best, or did you see one better? Right, and then maybe. You don't have to give a name, but who was maybe a not so good one, not the worst. And then let's break down the difference between a good and a bad one. Right. Okay. Um, so I actually think it's not even about, uh, I, it's about how well you suit the purpose of um, the judging criteria, I guess. So every competition, they'll have a judging criteria. Um, and the judges will have to mark you on like the score. Right? Yeah. And some of these are literally how well you fit in addressing that core objective of the competition. And if the competition was about driving financial inclusion, sometimes mm. it's fundamentally just the product itself, mm. right? And yeah. whether or not it, they believe that the product will actually solve yeah. the root cause yeah. and the social impact. Um, so it's, sometimes it's not that the startup was poor or like the pitch was poor or anything like that it was actually almost the fit to the objective was just wasn't even there well then that's a failure on the founder's part to not understand the end goals right and then i hate mm. this i hate to say this but like to tailor your pitch to to, to win to it, win right? it. Right? yeah yeah because yeah. yeah. i mean if you're not fundamentally a good fit you could probably win if you tailor it but you know um i mean at the end of the day if it's a competition it's not to raise money or to create end value right it's you know you're trying to Get either your goal could be like for you marketing or yes, something exactly. else, right? So you have Correct. to make it distill between that. So, Correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and I think that's exactly right. You know, some people are pitching because they think it's quite similar to pitching for funds. Yes. But it's very different. You're pitching for almost yeah. a cause. Yes. Right. Yeah, and yeah. so and I think that's where I noticed the difference. And then I would say I would say, you know, we even went through training for pitching um, in the previous UNCDF program, and they taught us how to pitch for impact and pitch for um keeping that story exciting mm. i don't think everyone unfortunately has gone through that kind of training yes correct right and yeah. so it's really unfair because then I, I guess they're pitching and they're just trying to meet the five minute mark yeah. as opposed to go why don't you try to pitch really well for just three minutes and you have like all the space mm -hmm. in the extra two minutes to mm -hmm. even mm -hmm. worry about right like usually they're all trying to put everything in five minutes so yeah. I, would, I would really suggest to kind of like step back and go actually you're only pitching for a cause yeah um what can you actually say yeah so I guess uh, to distill some lessons, right? Uh, understanding the the goal probably is, is probably critical. Yeah. And then um, knowing deeply your business, right? And I guess early on that's hard. So I guess you pitch something different early on. Yeah. But probably at this point, if you run for six years, you probably have a very clear idea of your value proposition, your, yeah. core, your core value proposition. And then it's a matter of techniques and how to align that to the goal of the end, end investor. Yes. Right. That, yeah. That, and I guess for like you mentioned, sometimes you may get that wrong, and then you uh, tailor it further to to keep doing that. Um, and I guess did, did we answer uh, when is the right time to race? Like yeah, you said it was a little mm. bit too too early is not too good, but then yeah. too late. Okay. Well, I would say I would say the best time to race is when you figured out a little bit more product market fit. Mm. I think that would be wonderful because yeah. then you're. You're, you will be a stronger core yeah, yeah. and you will be pulled to the wrong mm -hmm. um, direction. Product yeah. market fit will then allow you to also um, know who you're serving and you won't be burning cash in yes. the wrong direction. Yes. And, and ideally, you should be revenue generating. So you'll yeah. be optimizing for um, at least a sustainable yeah. like business. Yeah. So there's two, it's, it's different stages, right? Seed stage, uh, you need to get it kicked off or you maybe you have a prototype MVP already, yeah. right? Um, so that's more about the, the founders. But then I guess what you're saying is like, uh, where people maybe make the mistake is that they don't have product market fit and then they're trying to raise, which is a death raise. So mm. if you don't raise it, then you just shut down your company, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and, and I, maybe, yeah. maybe I would even add just, it's also just whether it's to ra raise a large amount or a small amount. Mm. Yeah. So if you're, if you're like pre product market fit, I think it is okay to raise, maybe raise just smaller. Don't, yeah, don't raise correct. too big because 
too big will mean that you raise too early in that sense, right? Because yeah. it was like, well, you didn't need that much money for that early stage. And then you start optimizing for the wrong things. Correct. Right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so then, what can you further describe? Maybe what is product market fit? Mm. Right? Huh. That's very yeah. Could be very loose, and it changes from business to business. Yeah. And it's a moving target. Yes. Right? So what does that actually mean? So you said you should probably raise for product market fit, but yeah. how do you know if you have product market yeah. fit? Yeah, I honestly would describe it where when we started getting a little bit better with product market fit, I think you feel it. Yes, right. <laughs> that's the craziest the, the thing. Yeah, right? it's like a feeling. Um, why? It's because you feel like prior to it, you're running so hard, you're climbing so high and you're just, yeah. you're sweating and it's so hard. The, the, the yeah. hill is so hard to climb. Yeah. And actually, the moment you get product market fit, somehow the hill is like a little flatter. And mm. It's like a little easier. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're like, oh, wait, huh? You mean I just, you mean that person signed up without yes, without yeah. having having any issues? <laughs> yes. Wait, oh, yeah. oh, and he just bought a package? Wow, it's so easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you will feel it. It's so yeah. funny how the answer is more of a feeling, but you will feel it because um, you should be spending less time trying to convince that customer because it genuinely the value prop had made sense. Yeah. You will feel it because your sales guys are not like knocking down on a thousand doors to get one. They probably only have to knock on 100 to get mm-hmm. one, which mm-hmm. means that, oh, your chances are higher because you've actually delivered a product that people actually want. Yeah. Um, so your energy spent to acquire will actually reduce. And that is when you go, if that is the case, that means we're getting something right. Yeah. yeah. And, and tying back to that, the reason why I love that answer is because one of the best advice I'd read online from people who've raised very easily and what they suggest to the right time to raise is when you actually feel feel good about it yeah so and what you're saying is that you feel good about it if you have product market fit yes right so so it actually all ties in together which which makes a lot of sense because then what's your you know if it is product market fit for at least for this time period you have enough breathing room where you're not it's not necessarily a death raise you're going to raise money and it's accelerant right yeah and i think a lot of people kind of um they, they build an mvp right away and they don't they probably are not too sure about the idea of product market fit, but then mm. they go and raise, but then it's just like they spiral, right? Yes, then you start yeah. focusing on the wrong things and then your product kind of like probably doesn't go where it needs to be. Yeah, right? yeah. So, I mean, that must have been a, a, a crazy journey. So how, how did you go from like you started off with a very... Uh, if, I, if it's okay to say so, yeah. a very janky MVP, right? It was, oh, it was, yeah. It was, it was manual. That's right? a nice word too, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't yeah. know what I would call it. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it also took you a long time to get to a probably end and full app product, right? Yes. A yes. few years, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It did. Yeah. yeah. So then and from that point then, from that point, which is a few years in, then maybe a few years later, what was that process of becoming more product, more technology-oriented and it took a few years to mm-hmm. get to actual mm-hmm. pro- something that you feel happy about. Yeah. What, what was that like? What was that process of you know being so janky to yeah. actually having like a, probably a shitty yeah. MVP? Yeah. To going from a shitty MVP to like wow, I feel good. That and I think a lot of people don't oh understand that yeah. that, that yeah. feeling. Correct. It's amazing. Yeah, I, yeah. Most of my career, I've been on the first half and haven't really fully. If I'm doing it from scratch, like not like you know big top down rocket kind of experience, it's I have never really also found very strong product market where I feel very satisfied. I have like niches of product yes, market. Yes, yes, right? so yes. So I understand your feeling. Yeah. Right? So what, 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 did, what was that process like to get there? Um, that's a great point. Okay. I think it's highly correlated to resources, right? Yes. So of course, when you start, you, you don't have resources. Hence why you're like, all right, just we just need a basic product just to test some hypothesis. Like, yeah. And honestly, when we first kicked off, we said, well, we just need to see if... Um, I hadn't even quit my job yet. I just had taken a leave of absence. So that's how, yes. like, it wasn't even fully ready, right? So Before before Go Get, yeah. Yeah, right. When you were working yeah. at BCG. Correct, yeah. 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 And so I was like, okay, we'll just have an MVP, um, if you could even call it that. And it was, it was a, it was just a um, app that was built on PHP, Kate PHP. Okay. Um, and then we wrapped it just to put it on the store, but it was just, <laughs> it was just horrible. It, there was no PWA back then, obviously, yeah. right? So, yeah. and there was, and it was literally just tell us what you wanted to, someone else to do mm-hmm. in open field text. Mm. And then how much you would pay in open numeric yeah. format. And then click. 
post. Yeah. And there was no blasting algorithm. There was absolutely no push notification. Yeah. So for us to get that job to be matched, we would be like, I really hope someone's looking at the app. Yeah. <laughs> because if they're not, <laughs> that job is just going to be like in absolutely in thin air, right? Well, you had to man- manually match it probably. So right? we literally yeah. would call people and yeah. like, you know, I'd be like, hi, like, you know, I remember you were based in PJ. Would you like to do this job? It's near yeah, PJ, right? Yeah, yeah, and we yeah, literally yeah. then started having this manual list of like, these are the PJ go-getters. Yeah. These are the Bangsa go-getters. These are the Monkiara go-getters. And my operations team would literally be the, the, the I guess, what now is the matching algorithm. Yes, but we had end, basically yes. a human matcher. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and as a go-getter, you would literally get a call that goes, hi, um, do you want to take a job? Yeah. How crazy is that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so... But we needed it just to because we were not trying to test the matching algorithm back then. Yeah. For us, our hypothesis that we needed to prove was a: what would people even use it for? Two: how much would they even pay for this? Yes. And three: yes. could the go-getter kind of perform it with decent level? Yeah. Right. And so we actually managed to say we actually managed to get at least you know first hundred jobs in. On average, it would pay actually ten ringgit a job. That was our mm-hmm. average price back then, yeah. and um, we could do it still for five star. Yeah. So we were not trying to test, you know, can we match it within one second? That was not the hypothesis yes. yet. And then it went to okay, well, since there is kind of a market that kind of would pay, and then you know we kind of could fulfill it. Now let's probably build a product that could actually mm. um, the next level resources yes. could take on. Yeah. So we actually built our next version with help with Cradle's fund, mm. 150, and the help of Magic Alps program, which ran once and it didn't run ever enough. <laughs> <laughs> but this Alps program yeah. would co-fund our development with VLT Labs. Ah, okay. okay. So VLT Labs would do 50% um, with Magic and then the company go get would have to fund the other 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we built the first version of our web app and then we had hired a uh, developer for the mobile app mm-hmm. and um, that was when we started building the other basic modules like matching mm. um, and and other aspects and just a better UI yeah. um, and pricing algorithm mm-hmm. um, but and then that's when we were trying to then we moved to the testing of hypothesis going well what kind of matching is going to be fast what kind of uh, price is going to be appropriate um, and then we started moving to doing that. And then I think what happened was, uh, I guess when you start a company, you don't realize that the technology you choose is heavily in, intertwined with also the human capital um, landscape for technology uh, mm. for developers in the nation, especially for Malaysia. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So you need to pick the right stack to have just better pipeline for your recruitment Correct. yes <laughs> no yeah. one tells you this if you come out i <laughs> will not me at least yeah so um so we eventually then um started just making as we started optimizing for revenue and product market fit closer to 2016 and 17 we could make the fastest changes on web but it would take us so slow to make those changes mm. on native mobile um mobile apps like so you, you were running uh, multiple platforms yeah how many people to technically that's insane yeah yeah <laughs> that's very hard to build yeah. a web and maintain apps at the same Correct. time yeah, exactly yeah, yeah. so we were maintaining the two different apps we had ios and we yeah. were still constantly outsourced yeah. and then we had android and then we had um web so mm-hmm. you're right we have these three platforms right and as we started getting better product market fit the fastest one we could iterate on was web yeah obviously mm-hmm. right so so then web started looking like this amazing new like feature and it started getting easier on and felt better on web yeah. but Android and iOS was like, I did not feel good with those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. And then that was when we sat down and, and flung my CTO and co-founder was like, I need to unify the technology. You're, yeah. We're getting two really different experiences. Yes, and he yeah, did yeah. mobile versus web app. And so he was like, we're going to move to PWA. Mm. So we built PWA. We started building it in 2000, at the end of 2017. What is PWA for people? Oh, okay, sorry. It's a progressive web app. Yes. Um, yeah, it's built in React, and it's um, essentially a way where you can kind of build, and obviously I'm going to butcher this description because I'm not the tech guy, yeah. but essentially it's faster for us to then build on our web app, and it easily can kind of be rolled yeah. out in your iOS. Yeah, so the difference, I guess, is between uh, native, which is building an app meant for that phone, like for iOS, and then yeah. Android would be different so you have to have two different uh, languages and stacks but i guess uh, what 
React Native Dev, it's a crossover. So it's just one language that could build for both platforms, but you don't get to use full functionality of the native app itself, I Correct. guess. Right. So, exactly. Yeah. Okay. So then um, by 2019, we rolled out then PWA, which now unifies all the experiences. So now with GoGet, web and Android and iOS, you're going to get the same experience, yeah. more or less. Yeah. And this is amazing, I guess. So yeah. that's really how, how we kind yeah. of moved across. Yeah. So I guess the, the, the one of the more important lessons is um, you said that you, sh- you shouldn't even call your first version MVP, but I think even something jankier than that should be the MVP. Yeah. Because you don't spend any money or time or or any resources just to prove the first step. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I think, For you know, sure. um, of course, it has to work, obviously. And yeah. I think the fact that, you know, it, if you could bridge, and people probably don't know this about Marketplace, right? When you first start, it, it is literally you matching between supply and demand physically. Like when we started Easy Taxi or mm-hmm. anyone doing Grab or Uber, same thing. Yeah. You literally are, you get your, your ride in and your drivers probably don't even know how to use an app. It's the first time they're seeing this back in 2013. Yeah. yeah. So then you, you have to tell them, okay, get online. Yeah. And then you have to say, this is a job, press accept, right? And they have to just kind of build your marketplace and pace supply and demand that kind of way. So um, I think that, you know, building that MVP, it's it, it has to be like that, especially for marketplace, mm-hmm. right? And um, that's the only way to kind of validate and then scale. Right? Yeah. And then and if I, what, what I'm understanding and hearing is that, you know, it's pretty much this journey of really not knowing too much about product tech and then really becoming more and more product-oriented and technology-oriented for time. Correct, right? yeah, yeah. And when you first started, um, was you had three co-founders? Yeah. Uh, so three total, right? Yep. And one of them is technical? Yes. Okay. Uh, so was that... Then how come you use so much outsource then? At the beginning? Yeah. Uh, because, well, at the very beginning... Well, firstly, he's a self-taught... Okay. Um, programmer. Programmer, right? Yeah. So... And he had gone to the next academy um, boot camp mm-hmm. right before okay. he kind of quit his job and joined Go Get full time. Um, so he's almost learning. Is he's literally? I actually describe Fung is the real life version of when you jump off a cliff and you build an airplane. Yes, okay. Like that is yeah, what Fung hot. did. Yeah. Like okay. Fung was like, I will jump inside building, right? <laughs> Not knowing how to even build an airplane. Yeah, and it's the first airplane <laughs> yeah, I'm building. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah, yeah. Start building it up. So. Um, so therefore, obviously, we had to be smart about like certain aspects. Let's not pretend to have you build the entire airplane. Let's mm-hmm. try having someone else build the wing okay. while you do the other wing, right? Mm-hmm. So that was really why, for example, like iOS, we needed we. How can he try to do that and iOS? Yeah, right? Yeah, it's like yeah, crazy. Yeah. So we just pick and cho- uh, we chose what what battles we wanted to fight. Mm-hmm. And so um, with uh, mobile, obviously, front end at the very beginning, it was definitely two other people. Um, the MVP at the very beginning was completely outsourced because, well, he had not even decided to jump off the cliff yet. Mm. So, um, and then finally, um, I guess there are some aspects that I feel we could um, maintain regularly and some of them that would just be a one-off like project, which yeah. I feel like that's why it makes sense for outsourcing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So essentially, to be fair, it was, um, you had a technical co-founder, but it wasn't like this guy was, really deeply experienced. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. So I guess that would explain um, why it took so long to develop the product and culture. Yeah. Right? So I guess hindsight twenty, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. So I guess yeah. if you were to start over, you would probably want someone yeah. who's very deeply technical because that probably would have accelerated the process faster to getting to a product, you think? Well, you know, I don't know if that's true because at the very beginning of when we're starting, I don't even need much tech technically mm-hmm. to get insights, right? Mm-hmm. All you're trying to do is figure out your customers, your insights, and you may not want to actually overspend on tech because you may build wrongly anyways. Mm-hmm. And if I even figured out the the insights, I may not even um, want to make this super awesome product yet, right? So yeah. if I could just almost like use a really cheap and janky yeah. product just to get the consumer insights, the consumption insight, the demand insight, the supply insights that are softer, the psychologies behind why our business can tick. Yeah. Then I'm ready to invest kind of a little bit later to yeah. make it better because what we do, I guess, is a industry that hasn't been done that mass or vastly yeah. in the past. Yeah. So I completely get it. I think if you're, if you're, Going to do an industry and a startup that has mechanisms and behaviors and information that is so mature already, just in a traditional space, you're just going to like 
um, bring it to the technology world and digital yeah. world, fine. Let's invest early, build an awesome product because you kind of know all the psychologies behind that mm. business. But to say like, hey, can you do you want to use a stranger for three hours to be a waiter and server in a restaurant or like mm. to help pick and pack yeah. your items or help pipe cookies for your bake baking yeah. business? A lot of people go like, what? I don't understand this concept. Yeah. What yeah. are you doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah this yeah. you mean a stranger is going to come and do a yeah. task? I'm like, yes, uh, that is true. I know it is weird, but <laughs> this is what we are doing, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so the, like for us, our industry was so immature in that sense mm. that I need to just get the human behaviors and psychologies mm-hmm. pre-tech. And I guess what, what we're kind of benefiting from is this kind of whole no code movement Right. I think because of what happened in the past decade, um, you know, from Silicon Valley, even having his, you know, I guess, I, I don't know what wave that would be for them, but they've had a few waves already. Right. Yeah. So this is like all the PayPal guys, Uber guys. Yeah. The infrastructure coming from that allows us and a lot of this, this technology is well understood. Yeah. Right. It's not like we're doing deep tech and AI. Correct. Right. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, exactly. we, so we, we do benefit from the idea that it's possible to start a valuable business, but not be technical, even though it's a marketplace. And that's yeah. pretty much purely tech. Yeah. Of course, uh, the next evolution of marketplace include, included physical world like Uber, cars, and yeah. in your case, using humans where you need actual ops, yeah. right? And then you, leveraging that with tech. Um, so I guess what was possible, you know, is that you, you could start it off, like you said, and benefit from the previous infrastructure, building on that, still create value, and then later on decide, you know, okay, now I know what I want to do yeah. and then, then build it essentially. Correct. Yeah. So I guess you're, you're a good example of, um, getting to product market fit. Um, and I guess your argument is that, you know, you necessarily would have, haven't gotten to it, to a better product faster because you still needed the learnings. Yeah. Right. Okay. Exactly. Understand. Okay. So in terms of, um, you know, starting the business and figuring, like you started us free, right? Yes. Right. So, <laughs> so in hindsight, would you have monetized faster and at a higher margin to learn faster? Yeah. It's a great question. This is, gonna take me back to that day I was sitting in my office in 2016 I believe and a go-getter walks in and he knocks on the door he goes hey Francesca um, when are you gonna start charging us <laughs> and then I'm like oh, what he's like you need to make money and he, and he sat me down and he goes if you don't make money we, we will not be yeah. able to have this platform and Correct. I sat there and I go oh my god I'm taking too long to monetize this whole time I've been like no guys like let's really focus we need to figure out what our value is like we need to see if this works and right now just just make sure that we bring value to mm-hmm. the the marketplace um, and I guess when a go-getter comes and sits you down, you realize maybe I am a bit too late. I should have just started doing this a little bit earlier. <laughs> yeah. um, it was great, though. We basically made an, a, a mark, though, internally. We said, okay, when we've hit and given one million ringgit worth of income to Malaysians, we're going to start charging. Mm-hmm. So we actually started charging once we hit a million. Which was 2016. 16, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then if I have my second data point correctly, in 2019, you distributed 7 million in rewards. Uh, in, ca- in cash, income. Yeah, income mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to the go-getters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that's true, across three or four years, you're growing at 2x every year? Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, with that with that early stage. Yes, because yeah. we, we were just... But does that mean in three or four more years, you have 100 million ringgit in terms of income distributed? distributed if you're going 2x every year? Um, well, you know, exactly. Let's just uh, hope that that's the, the growth rate that it keeps going as we go up. Yeah. Um, obviously, the growth rate has uh, slowed down since, um, like, it's not like two, three X every year. Yeah. Um, because we have maintained a very, like I said, 14 people in the yes. team. We, we don't burn like any other. So you're not trying to, though. yeah, just like do blitz scaling, essentially. Yeah, we are not um, at the moment. Um, and I think blitz scaling, I guess, you know, I went through even like this, this like, um, online course about like blitz scaling mm. and there's an online course about it i didn't know that <laughs> yeah well it was hbs <laughs> oh okay, like, okay. Uh, growth course and he was saying like not every business actually needs to blitz scale of course right? and then yeah. it's like actually blitz scale if one find like being the first to the end of the line is going to make a difference yeah um to you have competition that is good that is yeah. really pushing you at the moment mm-hmm. um so so those would be one of the two things and then they say sometimes blitz scaling on the wrong industry will literally be blitz failing yeah yeah. (laughs) you just like massively fail like really fast yeah yeah did 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 your were your ideas shaped 
Because I mean, I read early on that uh, you, I found it interesting for the time that you started yeah. with all the Ubers and Rocket yeah. being a big force. Early on, you choose to be profitable first yeah. and, and not follow that trend. Um, was that before after you read the HBR thing or why did you come to that conclusion? No, that was definitely before. Um, okay, so I uh, we came to that conclusion because it was just fundamental. We were, we were, and you, you get feedback from the VCs that yeah. go, oh, I'm not sure because I want to see whether or not you can mm. actually make it work. Mm. And then I go, all right, like there's no one else is going to have your back in this. Correct. You, it's only us. It's only you. So you have to make against it. the world, right? Yeah. yeah. And push comes to shove. If we can't cover our S's, yeah. um, uh, then no one's going to cover it. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, founders and I would sit down and we say, okay, let's, let's cut costs, grow revenue and make it a fundamental business. Yeah. Fundamentally, if we bring value and we can, you, you invest one ringgit and go again and you can get more than one ringgit back. Okay, we can accelerate it later, yeah. right? And yeah. the word you used just now was really great because when we raise funds now, it's actually to accelerate as yeah. opposed to some, some in the you know other phrases or other pace, people raising. You raise to cover burn. Yeah, it's, it's a very different a death race yeah. discussion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, it's it's you have room for optionality to experiment. Yes, and people can now instead of worrying about you dying, they can in, help feel and envision the future. And then be a part of that path and yes. experiment and journey. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, so I think we're really conscious about yeah. that. Yeah. So I think one of the most valuable insights that I got was that too. Like you know, especially in building marketplaces, I also been mostly in either e-commerce or marketplaces. And yeah. I think that that you know product market was really important. Um, what you're saying about you know because you're doing something very uncertain. Yeah. I mean, even though there are comparables to a degree in your space, yeah. but still Asia, like, no. you know, like no one really. So like, I also really came early to conclusion in building some marketplaces that it probably just makes sense to find a niche and be profitable so that, you know, at least you have the option to, to, you know, either raise or survive or just keep going. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, what I really admire is that, um, it seems so shaky in the beginning we'll get. Yeah. And like, <laughs> I think most founders after three, even like four, probably max, which just died out, right? Yeah. But you kind of kept going, right? Yeah. And and marketplace is really fucking hard, right? Yes, it right? is. It's really hard. It and really I think people is. don't really understand yeah. that. They, they just see the, the story of, you know, Uber and like, oh, yeah, you know, we're going to scale marketplace big, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I don't think you hear too many stories where like, I'm going to be a marketplace, but I'm going to focus on profitability and six years to probably get a comfortable market fit, right? Yeah. Most people are thinking like, oh, one or two years, okay, you're going to die, no, no market fit, I'm not going to give you money. Mm-hmm. But that's not necessarily the truth, right? Correct, yeah. And I think that you have all that learnings now. And what I admire is that you had the tenacity to continue and reach that stage. And it's really a six-year journey. And that really is a part of probably a 20-year journey. Yeah. Which exactly. means you could finally compound that, right? which is probably different. Maybe because other marketplaces were in different markets like China yeah. or US, it was the right timing probably. And they also have a market that can scale to every city the same. So easy. You can just copy, paste, same yeah. culture, same people. Correct. Southeast Asia, very different. So right? fragmented. So I, I think that's you know amazing that you could have that. But my question would be then, you know, where most people would have given up, you kept going. Yeah. Where did that come from? You're not the first to actually, you know, call that out. Like a lot of people were like, you know, I'm gonna be honest, friend. I really doubt it. From from investors or uh, no friends. Friends. I mean, <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, just like, yeah. you know, honest friends would be yeah. like I did not bank on you for, you know, to last more than 12 months. <laughs> yeah. Or like the idea, they were like, you know, I want to be honest, like, you know, it was, you know, I wasn't sure yeah. whether you, you could stand, you know, any longer, or the business actually more, more than me, right? Like, yeah. not sure about the business, not sure about the idea. Um, ironically, I think one thing that I, I do have, I don't know if that's a trait or something, but I am so glad I do have this ability to make sure that like, I don't take i really don't take noise mm. to heart and i yeah. and i need to be able to go there are going to be doubters and there are going to yeah. be like people that just just don't um believe in what we do but that's why we do what we do almost yeah. it's because i believe and i see this other aspect of it's a I secret see, you know i it. see the yeah. secret yeah, yeah i'm like yeah. guys there is a light no one sees this little light that's shining yeah. from this hole but we are going to get it yes. right get it, yeah. yeah right sometimes though borderline um you know i do say this um you know, people say like sometimes courage to keep going is courage. I say courage is sometimes borderline like naivety yeah. and maybe like a better word, stupidity yeah. or, or right. Yeah. And there's a fine line, yes. right? Sometimes very, very fine line. Very fine line. Yeah. 
and you and and that's where I guess you need to figure out. Um, and I, I value naivety sometimes because you do not judge mm-hmm. ideas. You mm-hmm. you do not prejudge and come to Correct. the table with like yeah. judgment. Yeah. Um, but stupidity is going to be bad. Right? Yeah, do not do that. Right. Yeah, yeah. So uh, there is a very good balance to have sometimes naivety and hope of just the non norm, mm-hmm. the the opposite, mm. but supplement that with kind of like fundamentals of data or like why you're actually believing yeah. this right don't just believe it and just because like you're just like oh yeah i think it just makes sense mm-hmm. right you need to have some traction or yeah. data that's going to be like i know fundamentally yeah. there's some some economics behind this that's going to work but i think where where ultimately the energy to keep going came from um i've said this to many people i think for me you need to care of the problem you're solving fundamentally mm-hmm. Because if you don't fundamentally care about the problem, when you're beaten down and punched 5,000 times, you're bleeding on the ground, it's about why you want to get up, right? And I think I would not get up if I don't care about the problem. Mm. I would be like, I'm done. I'm Mm -hmm. so done, right? Mm -hmm. But I think because for us, um, it was the the problem that we were solving for the go-getter side that just spoke to me that I said, well, I have no excuses. I need to get up. Yes. I just need to get up because I genuinely think I could try to solve this problem. Mm. And the problem was, so in the very early days, I did all the interviews for the go-getters, right? And yeah. I would have like people come in and back then I would train one by one, mm-hmm. right? And and this mother came and she had a baby, um, you know, and she would sit down. She's like, hi, you know, I spoke perfect English, graduated from university, Fully capable, right? She goes, I want to be a go-getter. And I was like, mm. okay, <laughs> why do you want to be a go-getter? <laughs> and she's like, um, I've been out of the workforce for, uh, you know, two years because I just had the baby. I want to go back in, but nothing is going to be suitable because I have to take care of my child. Yeah. Um, no office is going to take me at nine to five, like with a baby. And I said, this is really ridiculous. I mean, there's so many people that just couldn't be included in the workforce because we are just boxing them into this nine to five requirement that isn't right. Mm-hmm. People are fully capable to contribute in the economy and they can't. And then I would have another go-getter come to me and he was like, you know, Fran, I I, um, I want to be a go-getter. I was like, great, you need a smartphone. He goes, oh, I don't have a smartphone. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm really sorry. I can't help you. My technology is building this thing. Yeah. A week later, he knocks on my door. He's like, all right, I have a smartphone. I bought it. I'm ready to go. And mm-hmm. I was like, wow, the, the people are so, with the right attitude and honest attitude, they want to just earn. And within like a month, this individual would used to earn like less than 2,000 ringgit on his feet every day um, per month. But now with GoGet, he would earn like four, five, six thousand with the comfort from his home, mm-hmm. right? He says he, he sends back money like to, you know, he can take care of his money of his family so easily now. And the, and the mother that came to me and interviewed, she has started doing um, GoGet jobs and earned that earnings and then put it into a pastry course she became a pastry chef and then because she had only done go get jobs for cakes she met all these other bakeries in the city and she got a job an internship from one of the bakers in go get so it helped her kind of get back into the ecosystem so for me it's like every lives that we were changing and people that we could help because you could create opportunities that never existed before i believe there were problems with the labor market that we could solve fundamentally mm-hmm. and i think we mm-hmm. could genuinely remove friction mm-hmm. in the labor market mm-hmm. and um and you could change people's lives and so that was that's really the reason why i yeah. keep going i mean that's a that's a huge topic with um automation and ai coming up yeah uh, and the gig economy probably you know while people feel like it's not as a big investment theme because of you know the uberfication of everything i still think very relevant which probably just at the tip of the iceberg probably yeah right? and i think uh, the fact that you're still persisting right you have the grit and because you actually care about the problem yeah and i guess you you are seeing something different in southeast asia i think yeah, most of those players we talked about early on yeah either completely pivoted out or um or do something completely different or they shut down right yeah yeah, so I guess, you know, we're running out of time, so I didn't even ask half my questions. Oh! So we'll have to do a part two, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, and we went off script completely, which was great, I think. Okay. Great, great conversation. Um, so for the last question, and I'll try to wrap it up with uh, two ideas. Yeah. Now, how do you define success, and what will be your end goal for Go Get, and how do you know if the work is finished? Wow. So, so three, three things. So how do you defi- define success? What will be your end goal and how do you know if the work is finished? 
success to me can't be a it, it's not a location that's not here if that makes mm. sense it's actually it's not a fixed point it's not a fixed point in the future i really think success is really in the day in day out like you must feel that um you're you're running your day successfully like we're treating people right we're making our decisions right we're trying to build like processes long term i think if we create that engine that is success because the engine will self figure it out almost yeah. right if i have the right people and the right processes and we build the right mindset and culture that will be success today already because then you just give it time then you just add time to that engine and it yes. will drive it correct right so um that is one the end goal of goget i did sit down you know and i'm constantly thinking about this right and <laughs> and and i did sit this down this week and go oh what would this be right how mm. would you look like how would i look like in 20 years and mm. how would the company look like in 20 years and the main thing is i'm trying to remove the i from that equation right yeah. and so so um you know i envision that a successful future point of goget is that we're impacting really millions of lives right mm-hmm. um not just the tens of thousands today yeah. um and we're actually going to be the normal a normal option for employment not the mm. odd option for employment mm. this is actually the future of work mm. right we believe that actually in the future work will not only be the 9 to 5 option but fundamentally the people relationship the definition of employment is going to be flip where you don't have a one to one employer to employee ratio mm-hmm. you're going to have one employee to many employers um with connectivity with um the small little computer call your your mobile phone in your pocket um i believe work will be a lot more kind of connected and mobile and dynamic yeah. and fluid yeah and we're just going to be one of those players that's going to be part of that and we hope to be one of the yeah. you know forefront players in that and, and we see that already with a lot of like for your business model and other marketplace like grab we already see that happening with the supply side of drivers and yeah. uh, go getters right yeah. they probably use more than one app and have more yeah. than one employer correct right? yeah so, so we are seeing that trend happening yeah. and i guess what you're saying is that that could extend to almost everyone probably everyone yeah. correct okay. yeah And I guess the last question then you know it's we're I think we're the same age we're both 87 yeah. right 88 yeah okay yeah. yeah and um so this last question is more about you know being old I guess yeah so probably, probably in 20 years you know this is going to be more relevant so maybe I could help start getting you think about it now how do you know if the work is finished <gasps> For me again I guess it's it shouldn't be an And I I actually when I picture my 20 year I actually try to paint the day. Mm. It's really odd, but I always try to go like how will my day look like when I wake up? Mm. Where what kind Correct. of room would I be in? Correct. What do I do in the next five minutes and where do yeah. I where am I walking to? Mm-hmm. And then I literally visualize my day, mm-hmm. yeah. right? And my day actually though in when I'm 50 is I envision that I wake up, you know, in a comfortable happy family home. Mm. Um I go down and hopefully have a family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right? Um I don't have kids right now, but I would ideally like to have kids. I have kids. Yeah. Um I would, you know, and then and I'm I'm cooking in the kitchen. Yeah. It's kind of weird, yeah. but I'm cooking, yeah. right? And I feel and I have a sense of like I have um created impact in society. Mm-hmm. I have had a purpose, but mm-hmm. I'm also at the point where um hopefully my experience gives advice to mm-hmm. to the youth at that stage that yeah. they're actually the drivers mm-hmm. um of of the business or of the economy and um and I really and I envision that like you know go gets more of an institution as a regular company mm-hmm. that just run, gets mm-hmm. run by private sector people and yeah. it's not you know at all intertwined with me mm-hmm. as a human being i think you have your your answer then it sounds like a pretty clear you will know i guess you probably will feel it when you yeah. reach that stage yeah. and and uh, i think it does become more relevant as you get older because some people are lost in the grind um and they don't really stop pause and think about what they really value and they just go through life without thinking about mm. being present right yeah and so then i guess that's that's why i like that question a lot and i think you have a pretty good answer already, yeah. even though it's not fully there yeah. it'll, you know it'll take time to get there yeah um you know so i'm very happy with today's interview you know i i came in with my mind probably with go get being the 2015 go get oh yeah <laughs> right so uh, i think you know it's really nice to hear your story uh, you've matured into a very good you know yeah. well-rounded founder <laughs> thank you and uh, you know you've really changed a lot of my perspective and you know thank you for your time on the show today thank you right, thanks, glad man. to be here all right 
Hey listeners, thanks for listening to another episode of EOA. As usual, if you found this episode valuable, please share it to your friends and family on social media. I really appreciated the time of Fran. For the last question about knowing when the work is done, I need to give credit from borrowing that question from Jerry Colonna's book, Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up. I think that founders are always looking for tactical and strategic advice, but often forget that introspective questions are just as compelling and important. It's a book I'd highly recommend to any founder on their growth journey right now. To me, Go Get is what a realistic picture of success looks like for entrepreneurs and founders in Southeast Asia. Not everyone will start up a company and raise billions of dollars within a few years. And despite being in the hyper-competitive space that Grab and Gojek operate in, GoGet has managed to carve out a profitable niche and is now able to explore many options without having to worry about shutting down anytime soon. Of course, maintaining product market fit will be a challenge, but they seem to have nailed down the formula. Due to necessity, they focus on profitability, which has positioned them well to keep solving the extremely tough problems of frictions in the labor market. We didn't have time to do a plug, but for sure, GoGet will always be looking for top talent, and I'm sure they wouldn't mind talking to investors. So feel free to reach out to them through goget.my or contact me if you need help. See you guys back here next week.